0: Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I begin today's episode, I wanted to ask for your help with something. If you listen on iTunes, you've probably seen their list of podcasts designated as COVID-19 essential listening. I've reached out to Apple to ask them to include Shelter in Place on that list, but I need your help. If you could take a moment to go to iTunes, rate Shelter in Place, and write a quick review of what you like about the show, I would be so grateful. Now on to the show. The other day when my three-year-old Matea was sitting on her training potty, apropos of nothing, she called out, What going on with Ted? Ted is the name my three children gave to their cute little sphere of a clock that turns green when it's time to wake up. His digital face has eyes, a nose, and a mouth, which smile or go to sleep, depending on what time it is. We don't know anyone named Ted. I don't know why they call him that. It's just his name. Matea's concern over Ted has been pretty constant lately because, as Shakespeare said, the time is out of joint. For Ted, this means that he's now awake at midnight, smiling and glowing his happy green. He's sleeping in the late afternoon when the rest of us are up. Ted is confused. I finally unplugged him with the intention of looking up his instruction manual online to see if I could fix him, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. I don't know why Ted decided to give up on keeping track of time the same week that we all started sheltering in place, but the timing has not escaped my notice. Maybe like the rest of us, Ted thinks, what's the point? One week into sheltering in place, Dave Jorgensen, the producer and writer of Creative Video at the Washington Post, posted this on Twitter. It's Tuesday, or as we call it now, day. This past week, writer Matthew Burnside tweeted, does time still exist? I've been trying to figure out why this bothers me so much, why it's a problem that every day feels exactly the same. What does it matter if our week is five days or seven or just one long continuous string of living? Our calendar has changed before. David Ewing Duncan, author of Calendar, Humanity's Epic Struggle to Determine a True and Accurate Year, says that the calendar the world is using now is mostly a joining of the Egyptian calendar and the Roman calendar. He talks all about this in episode 159 of the podcast 99% Invisible, which I highly recommend. 99% Invisible host Roman Mars says, months don't make any logical sense. It's a strange design. And yet, the idea for the seven day week is as old as the creation story. God created for six days, so the story in Genesis goes, and on the seventh day, he rested. It's a pretty good model to follow to build in a day of rest and recovery to refresh us. There have been all sorts of attempts throughout history to dismantle the seven-day week, most notably during the French Revolution when, for a whole decade, the work week was 10 days long. More recently, companies have experimented with the four-day work week, both as four 10-hour days and four 8-hour days. Last year, Microsoft even tried the latter in Japan and found that productivity increased by 40 percent, which is great news if you have the option of working four eight-hour days while your kids are in school, if you have the option of working at all. What we're dealing with now is quite different Many of us are trying to squeeze our regular workday into half the time we used to have, and then going immediately into another kind of work, the demands of parenting, of teaching our children, of doing domestic tasks. It's not that we didn't have to do a lot of these things before, but at least our days were divided in such a way as to delineate work from rest and play. Now it all blurs together. Nicole Lynn Pesci is a writer for Market Watch, and I want to read to you this list from a story she wrote. Feeling like you have no control. You have no say in making any decision or changing the work culture. Job insecurity. You could be fired or laid off at any time. Irregular work hours and poor sleep. You can't rely on a consistent schedule, and you're not getting enough rest to recharge. Work-life interference. You're texting and emailing with your employer outside of work hours, and you're struggling to maintain family relationships or care for children or sick parents. Hostile work environments and threatening interactions with coworkers. Values that don't align. You legit abhor where you work or who you're working for, and you're doing something that you have zero interest in. You may think that Nicole's list is referring to our global pandemic, but it's not. It's a list of workplace traps that can trigger depression from a story that she wrote back in 2017 titled, These Are the Signs That Your Job Is Making You Seriously Depressed. I don't know about you, but Nicole's list just described my life. Despite our best efforts, we have very little control over our life right now. Nate's job security went out the window on day one of sheltering in place. We're squeezing in work wherever we can, often at night after the kids are in bed, and we're sleeping less than we used to. Our work is frequently interrupted by the demands of parenting. Our coworkers, is, the three children who share our workspace, are sometimes thoughtful and kind, and other times openly hostile. Sometimes they yell things like, I hate you, and that's a stupid idea, which don't do a lot to increase motivation or promote productivity. And finally, we are doing work we legit abhor, trying to pretend like we like pondering basic addition and subtraction, teaching how to write the letter S from the top instead of the bottom, and how to not draw your twos and threes backward. Nicole's story snapped something into place for me and made me realize why this time has felt so challenging. Because in one sense, we're working much less now, but in another, we're working all the time. Nicole quotes psychiatrist, Dr. Igor Gallinger at Mount Sinai, Beth Israel, who says that while small doses of acute stress, that is working toward occasional deadlines or giving a big presentation, can cue your fight or flight response in a good way to boost performance. Well, chronic stress, like journalists on constant deadline or police officers in the line of fire daily or what we're all currently experiencing every day, is linked to depression, heart disease, high blood pressure, and type 2 diabetes. No wonder we miss Friday, as this day was once called. I'm left wondering what in the world we can do to protect our sanity during this time, which doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. Dr. Gallagher suggests taking steps so you don't feel trapped. Create options for yourself, he says. See if you can switch schedules or reprioritize what's on your plate or push back deadlines when possible. Nicole also consulted Dr. Nancy Spangler, a consultant for the Center of Workplace Mental Health. Dr. Spangler says to take breaks, to go for a run or a walk, which are proven to boost your mood. Spend a few minutes meditating. She says that what might look like laziness or withdrawal could really be struggling to keep it all together. She says sometimes we ignore the signs of depression or we don't think it's serious until we're overwhelmed. Knowing when we need to replenish ourselves physically and emotionally helps us bounce back from stress and become resilient. Even if it's artificial, I want to go back to the seven-day week. Little by little, our family is creating structure. No work on Sundays. Family movie night with popcorn on Fridays. Nate and I take turns running or biking most days. Sometimes, when there are no other options, that means shuffling along beside the kids. For the kids, it's reading and writing with Daddy in the mornings and math in the afternoon with Mommy. And then some days, when it all just feels too hard, we let those things go. I don't know how long this sameness of life is going to go on, but I'm not willing to wait it out, especially when the consequences of this daily living can be so discouraging. But I think it's going to put my creativity to the test to figure out how to differentiate the days, how to step away when my coworkers are yelling at me or throwing tantrums without neglecting the job of parenting them. Maybe it's time that I give my husband a mental health day and ask him to give me one, too. I don't know. Maybe we need to make Monday happy hour or Wednesday picnic dinner a thing. Maybe we come out of this time redefining the calendar for ourselves. Not literally, but in the ways we approach each day. The ways we reach out to each other. So, TGIF, friends. Let's make it a good one. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place... I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter-in-Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter-in-Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow... This is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.